I believe there's a hero in all of us. Brilliant, but lazy. I'm sorry, sir. No one will be seated after the doors are closed. <laughs> you serious? Precious tritium. I drove Spider-Man away. I'm Spider-Man. No more. He was a... A thief! He stole that guy's pizza! Delicious! I want that wall-crawling arachnid prosecuted! Go get him, Tiger. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am Eduardo, and I am joined on this late, late night, just after our very, very first Assembly Required community night with my partners in crime. We got Peaches, we've got Robbie, we've got Chris. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? I am V-tired, but ready to podcast. Feeling good. Feeling flippy and ready to quippy. Wee! <laughs> I'm insulted by how good that was. <laughs> and <if> Impressive! <laughs> if you guys would also like to join us on our next community night, you can do so by joining us over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash assembly required. Uh, you sign up over there on Patreon. You'll join our Discord and we'll be hosting whenever our next uh, event is going to be. Now, today we are discussing all things Spider-Man 2. Uh, we just actually just watched it all together along with uh, a, one of the members of the community. Now, Robbie, mm-hmm. give us a little bit of give us a little bit of Spider-Man 2 uh, uh, pre-episode before we start here. Yeah, um, it's not particularly exciting. It wasn't a crazy uh, film production cycle, but just a handful of things to set the scene uh, here in 2004. Um, the, uh, after, immediately after Spider-Man set the record for the best opening weekend, um, Sony announced the sequel was greenlit and Sam Raimi had actually already worked, started work on the sequel the moment he finished on the first movie. So this one was, uh, able to be produced in two years, which back then was pretty quickly. Um, so 2002 to 2004, almost to the day, I believe. A very quick turnaround. This film was originally called Amazing Spider-Man, by the way. They were going to name it after the comics. Yeah, yeah. this was originally titled The Amazing Spider-Man. I Uh, wish they had done that. I agree. Because Uh, my favorite thing about the Amazing Spider-Man movies is that they're called The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, right? (laughs) And then Well, it left you something to like about those movies then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I believe the original intention was then, like, the third movie could be Spectacular Spider-Man and so on and so forth. And, you know, they had a good idea. But then it just became Spider-Man 2, I think, just for marketing. I remember it being something that was discussed, but I can't remember the exact reasons. I wish they would have done that and then kept going on with the movies but ran out of things to call it (laughs) and been like, all right, Spider-Man 17, wacky web crawler. (laughs) (laughs) He does have a lot of uh, a lot of adjectives. Yeah, yes. friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, web of Spider-Man. That's what I was hoping they were going to call the MCU Spider-Man, but then they started doing the home subtitles instead. Yes. Oh, yeah, that wacky works. inflatable flailing arm tube Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, as we discussed on the recently released Spider Cut episode, if you listened to that, um, Spider-Man One originally had Doctor Octopus as a secondary villain. And a whole lot of the concepts and scenes from that movie were just brought into this. So they were, 
they were pretty prepared to make this film um, from the get-go. Uh, if you do not know, Dr. Octopus uh, is Dr. Otto Octavius. He's probably the uh, most likely candidate for Spider-Man's arch nemesis with the possible exceptions of Venom and the Green Goblin. Uh, but uh, Octavius has been around longer and more consistently than the other two. Uh, he appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 3, so as early as the third issue. Uh, it's, uh, Otto Octavius is a radiation scientist. It's all vague. We didn't understand what it was back then. That's a thing, a radiation scientist. <laughs> yeah, and he creates these big metal, extendable metal arms that are like tentacles so he can work on radiation from a distance. And then he has a horrible accident where it explodes and uses his mind-controlled arms to his body and also turns him into a megalomaniacal psychopath. Nicknamed Dr. Octopus. Um, despite having his superpowers, his extreme genius and powerful arms make him the first opponent to actually beat Spider-Man in a fight. Uh, and for basically the rest of history was one of the most dangerous and memorable uh, opponents for Spider-Man. A lot of the best Spider-Man stories involve uh, Dr. Octopus, so... It was only natural to have a ride at Universal. <laughs> yes. Uh, at one point, the script had a younger Dr. Octopus who was trying to date Mary Jane and created, a, created the spider that bit Peter Parker and whose arms were killing him, requiring injections of Peter Parker's radioactive blood. Uh, that script is actually available online. If you would like to read it, it's quite bad. Uh <laughs> And it's very good. Raimi decided Michael Shibone, I think, was the the writer. Um, Shibone. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Raimi. Raimi decided. What What has he written that's notable? He's written several books. I okay. want to say. Yeah, he, he's more famous as a novelist. Got it. If I'm thinking of the right person, he wrote um, a book that has been sitting on my shelf for years that I have been meaning to read, called "The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay," oh, which is a fictionalized story uh that's basically it's like a fictionalized version of the creators of superman so oh. it's about the 1930s comic book okay industry well that's probably supposed the right to be guy. a very very good book and one of these well, days i will read it <laughs> and honestly he can be a fantastic writer who just tried to, to be a little bit too cute with the spider-man yeah uh, mythos uh and so he was eventually uh, his script was rejected and rewritten. A lot of his script is in this movie, um, but stuff I saw like... He got, I saw he had a credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. um, if you read the script, some of the scenes are word for word what he wrote, but there's just no teenage, lovesick Dr. Octopus. So. Yeah, just pretend that he's middle-aged yeah. and you've got it. And it's really funny because it sounds like something from the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but it's not. Um... So yeah, yeah. So that was that was rejected. So they rewrote the script into what you see now. Uh, leans very heavily. It, it got a lot of original content, but it leans very very heavily on a few iconic Spider-Man stories. Uh, this be my destiny, which we've discussed on this podcast before, which is the famous one with Spider-Man crushed under rubble trying to lift it. Um, Amazing Spider-Man number fifty is also big in this, and that's where Peter Parker gives up being Spider-Man. He loses his powers, decides he doesn't want to be Spider-Man anymore throws his costume away in the trash can and that shot's used uh almost perfectly in this film spider-man no more mm-hmm. uh spider-man 2 was a wild success it grossed uh 41 million dollars on opening day which broke the record from the first movie uh which would it would be broken that same year by star wars episode 3 revenge of the sith mm. uh, worldwide it grossed 789 million 
and it holds a 93% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Also, the Spider-Man 2 video game was awesome. Yes, it was. It was the definitely first game the precursor that got to the Insomniac one. Correct. The Insomniac one is is like the spiritual sequel to the Spider-Man 2 video game. It was the first game that got web swinging right. Uh, for a long time, it was the only and well, and it was the first one. Grand Theft Auto 3 had just been a success, and they decided, you know, wait, hold on. We can just do this with Spider-Man. And they did, and it was great. So And correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a long time since I mm-hmm. played it, right? But uh, we had it back in, in the GameCube. And Same. it actually had a quippy Toby Maguire. Yes. Yes, yeah. it did. Yes. Which is Oh, weird. did he voice yes. that Spider-Man? Yeah. He he did. And he is talks like Spider-Man. Like he's chatty and, and He's good. Yes, yes. It's weird. Huh. It's, it's weird. weird. Toby Maguire's good. <laughs> It's weird that that character exists, but was not actually in the movies. Yeah, um, but it proves that he can do that Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, I think we may have discussed this in one of the other podcasts, but if I remember correctly, and, and I don't want to misattribute him, but I'm pretty sure at one point Sam Raimi was just saying that it's weird and awkward to have him talking through the mask. And I think he's wrong about that, but that's whatever. Wait until he learns about ADR. <laughs> A day to um, remember? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's Spider-Man 2. Or I'm that's made of black sound, Lord. What are you 2. made of? What? <laughs> that's like several deep cuts all in Okay. Do you need do you need the sound lord to explain ADR? Or, all I or... want is a place to call my own. Yeah, you should explain ADR because that's not a day to remember. Additional dialogue recording. Oh, okay. So it's just when they go back and re-record a line. Gotcha. In the studio. Yep. Pretty much every line you hear in a movie is done by ADR. Do I need to explain a day to remember to you, Sound Lord? Yeah, I think so. I th- <laughs> day I think to remember is like a, a misconnection here. Is a I don't know what to call them. They're like a hardcore band. They are from Ocala, Florida, and they have a song titled "I'm Made of Wax, Larry." What are you made of? Which, if you don't know, is a popular—not popular, but a famous line from uh, acclaimed movie "Night at the Museum." It is said. Uh, to Ben Stiller, uh, Robin Williams is playing uh, Theodore Roosevelt yes, on yes. the horse, and he says, "I'm made of wax, Larry. What are you made of?" And the hook for the song goes, "All I want is a place to call my own," which is what Peaches was singing. Okay. You keep your hopes up high and your head down low. No, I don't know that song, but I have seen Night in the Museum. So. There you go. How do you not know that song? We're gonna send that to you. Keep your head down low. <laughs> Another long opening credit sequence with basically <laughs> the same music rehashes the first film, much to Robbie's annoyance. Also, three minutes and twelve seconds. We it timed it long. today. It, to be and fair, it's better this time. Yeah. It is better this time. Yes, but but still, a trope I'm glad is gone. Eventually, the film opens with Peter Parker attempting to deliver pizzas on time to save his job as a delivery man. He attempts to deliver them faster by switching to Spider-Man, but his need to stop and change and save children, I guess, in the street cause him to be late, and he's fired. Immediately after Peter's fired from his secondary job, taking pictures at the Daily Beagle for refusing to give up pictures of Spider-Man after the negative light editor J. Jonah Jameson has been publishing the heroine. Eventually, Peter relents and gives up Spider-Man photos to save his job. Finally, at school, we see Peter Parker is constantly missed in class and is threatened with failure by Dr. Kurt Connors if he doesn't write a successful paper on Dr. Otto Octavius. At least one of those ended up panning out. 
<laughs> at the Parker home, Peter is surprised by Aunt May, Mary Jane, and Harry Osborne, you curly-headed fuck, with a birthday party. <laughs> Harry, who is funding the project of Octavius's, offers to help network Peter with him. Osborne makes it clear he's still hunting Spider-Man and asks Peter if he knows who he is. Can I just say, James Franco fucking sucks in this movie. Chris, <laughs> you wanted to start the James Franco pile on, but I'll start it off myself as well. Go ahead, start it. God, he's so bad in this movie. Not only he's just an awful person outside of, just like in real life, in this movie he is trash. And he's kind yeah. of trash in the first movie, but like I think he can like get away a little bit. This movie, he's like fucking god awful. I have to ask Eduardo, how strong is your memory of James Franco in the third movie? <laughs> because <laughs> I, you're not wrong, but I don't know if you're prepared for what happens next. Maybe I'm not. I don't think I am. Oh, I, doesn't he like get emotional amnesia or something? Yes. And he's like, uh huh. Pete, my friend. Oh <laughs> That's my like god. all I remember. <laughs> Do, do you remember the cake, the so good scene with the cake or the pie? Oh, I do now. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so much I have not thought about in years. He's real real bad in the final sequence, too, with the, yeah. where he's like, oh, God, it's hard to describe. Oh, we're not even on that movie. You guys um, got to keep me from talking about Spider-Man like, 3 tonight. He was pretty, uh, like, passable in the first movie. I don't yes. know what Sam Raimi told him. Like, hey, man, I need you to turn your douche meter up to 11. Like, really right. pile it on. Because, like, all he does, he just smolders and overacts. And in that scene where Doc Ock is trying to show off his new arms to everybody, he doesn't even know how to clap right. He's just like, <laughs> I can't even... Listeners, I wish I could have you peer into the the video chat we're all in right now so you could watch me clap like a moron or you could just watch this movie <laughs> and pretend I'm doing the clapping instead of James Franco. My, my thing with him in this movie is with the exception of his first scene where he keeps switching back and forth from Pete, you're my best friend and tell me where that jackass Spider-Man is but you're my best friend. And if you don't tell me where he is, you're not my friend anymore. You're his friend. Like he's just back and forth, like wow. from line to line. And it's what a really manipulative weird. person. It's really weird for the rest of the movie. I feel like it works in each individual scene he is, but it's also like, he's not playing the same character in every Correct. scene. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. all right, yeah, this works in this scene. This works in this scene. And then you take it all as a whole. It's like, wait a minute. Is that right. the same guy? The guy who gets drunk and starts smack, trying to smack around, or not trying, he the guy who gets drunk him. and starts smacking around Peter at the party. And he makes a face like this. Right, that's not the guy who is later. That's not the guy who's later going to be, oh, oh no, it's my best friend is Spider-Man. What am I going to do? Well, given by your last scene with him, you want to kill him. Like, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> But also he's like, uh, you know, in this scene with Otto where he's mm-hmm. all like, you're going to make, make me rich, Pally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the constant. And some of this part is, is largely writing, but like he's just such an unlikable character with that. We pay the bills. Cha-ching, cha-ching. I own you. We pay the bills. Also, yeah. in his scene where he is drinking his sorrows away because he lost money on, I like, sorry for being you know, anti-capitalist over here, but boo fucking who you lost. You're already rich. You lost some money. Get over it. Like, 
Do you still live in a penthouse? Also, and everything's yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm ruined stop. as I drink my $300 scotch. Right. Yeah, stop <laughs> eating avocado toast. That's supposed to work. Yeah, he's the head. He's the head of special projects for a for the largest military supplier in the in the country. And one project going wrong means he puts on his sunglasses dramatically, like at the start of CSI Miami, and goes, "All I have left is my hatred of Spider Man." Like, no, that's not all you have What a left. weird thing to have left. You also <laughs> still have a butler. <laughs> <laughs> Your father only obsessed over his work. Oh my god, Bernard? <laughs> no, not Bernard. 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 Oh, Bernard, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bernard! <laughs> Bernard. Yeah, yeah, I think we can all agree. Jesus. That's what he said to Spider-Man, too. Anyway, yeah, and I don't know how much of this is affected by the fact that we now know that he's not a good person. <laughs> Maybe we were all fine with it before it turned out that he was a total creep. No, uh, I can remember. I don't think I remember hating him as much as I do tonight, but I remember feeling like he was weird the first time I saw this movie, and I didn't yeah. feel that way in the first movie. And then the second movie, or the third movie, he's awful. <laughs> Oh yeah. Harry introduces Pete to Dr. Octavius. While at first Otto isn't interested in answering questions for a student, he eventually takes a liking to Peter and the two talk well into the night, echoing Uncle Ben's great power speech. Otto tells Peter brilliance is a gift to be used for the benefit of mankind and chastises Parker for being lazy. He also introduces Parker to his wife, his wife, his wife, Rosie. His wife. <laughs> and in, I'm sorry, I, Scooby-Doo is not here. He introduces Parker to his wife and, oh. <laughs> and encourages him to work on impressing Mary Jane and stop keeping his love a secret. He also tells him to use poetry because apparently it always works 100% of the time. Look out, ladies, because Peach's poetry is coming your way. What? Peter heads to see Mary whatever Jane. that means. <laughs> Peter heads to see Mary Jane's play, which he had promised to see, but encounters a dangerous police chase on the way and switches to Spider-Man to save the day. Now, Robbie, you're a little fangirl for this sequence, right? I love this sequence, despite the fact that there's a few shots with this, and you'll get to this later. But despite the fact that there's a couple shots now in 2021 where I go, oh, CGI. But other than that. Um, although this sequence, the CGI is not as bad in this sequence because uh, in true Jurassic Park fashion, you can get away with it when it's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it, everything is just, it's really small. Uh, it's a short moment, but Spider-Man is at his best when he is, you know, doing small things, saving people on the street level. Like that's, that's uh, what kind of fleshes out the character. And Watching him, you know, chasing cars, swinging through Manhattan from building to building, dodging bullets, um, saving civilians. Like, that's a cool moment. And that's something that I have missed from a lot of Spider-Man movies since this one. Um, and, and even 17 years later, this scene is still exhilarating and still fast and exciting to watch. Uh, and very, it has some very convincing, you know, Spider-Man movements and shots going on. It uses the hero theme really well. Um, I, I really, really like the part where the, the woman is go Spidey, go like, it's cool seeing the citizens cheer on Spider-Man. Um, 
And I just really, really like it. Uh, and it's exciting and it's cool to, you know, kind of break up the story of this movie with some Spider-Man action. But it also ties very well into the actual story of this movie. And I think this is something we all kind of realized talking together on our rewatches. This movie is not actually about Spider-Man versus Doc Ock. This movie is about Peter Parker versus his responsibility as Spider-Man. And Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octopus is just there for some, you know, action sequences. Octopus. Dr. Um, Octopus, played by Nathan <laughs> Fillion. <laughs> um, so this sequence also just ties very well into, you know, how his responsibilities make his life difficult. Um, so, and I guess I just, uh, I, don't, I don't know how much else I have to add. And this, it might actually be my favorite sequence from the movie. And I just really, really hope that what happens in the third MCU Spider-Man has some of this. Uh, because I really want to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man doing the skyscraper Manhattan saving people on the streets thing at some point. Um, and I love Far From Home, but I really would like to see some more um, grounded New York Spider-Man moments as well. In the have, MCU. You, have you seen the cut sequence from Far From Home that they put on the Blu-ray as a bonus feature? I have as a not. short film? I have not. I wish it's, I owned it. It's... um. I think it's probably on YouTube. Um, I think it's called like Spider-Man's to-do list, but it, it's just a deleted scene that they just repackaged as a short. And it, oh. it takes place at the beginning of the movie. And he's going through getting his dry cleaning and doing all these things that he has to do before his trip. But one of those things is stopping a bank robbery. And, you know, it's just fun Spider-Man stuff. He jokes around with the police when they show up. and Oh, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. I have seen that. Yes, yeah. yes, that's great. Yes, more of that. I want more of that. Yeah. Because no, I, I, I love Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Um, what I feel like is missing, and, and again, as you will see at the end of this episode and for all of these episodes, I love Far From Home. I just would really like to see some of that in the MCU. Yeah. I, I love the line. This is the scene, right, where... The kid's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, yeah. uh, yeah, work out, eat your vegetables. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's scene, fun. That's a, that's a good, good Spider-Man some, line. The scene has some good humor in it, yeah. Though he's able to save several lives and apprehend the crooks, Parker is late to the play, and Bruce Campbell won't let him inside. <laughs> Damn. Dang it, Bruce. Hmm. Peter attempts to wait for Murphy. Mary Jane, but sees her greeted by her new boyfriend outside, and then leaves pursue another car chase while swinging above the streets spider-man's webbing mysteriously stops working and after a fall he is forced into an awkward elevator ride with hal sparks to get down <laughs> peter leaves a voicemail to mj but is unable to tell her he's spider-man and won't be honest about his feelings for her safety Otto Octavius, with Peter Parker and Harry Osborn in attendance is set to display his new fusion energy system funded by oscorp to a captive audience. Cha-ching. Otto also shows off four extendable tentacle-like arms he's invented for controlling the fusion device, controlled by his mind with a chip to inhibit the arm's built-in AI. After firing up the fusion system, the experiment quickly goes wrong, and the room starts collapsing from the gravity created by the, excuse me, by the tiny sun Otto is attempting to control. Rosie Octavius is killed by debris in the chaos. Spider-Man arrives and shuts down the device, creating a shock which knocks out Otto and breaks the inhibitor chip on the arms. In the aftermath, Otto is carted away and Harry blames Spider-Man's arrival for ruining the experiment. Doctors attempt to separate Otto's arms from his body. 
The arms rebel, killing the entire operating staff in a lengthy reference to Evil Dead. Now, Peach, this is maybe the campiest scene in the whole uh, the whole movie, uh, and it's really, really drun like drun done up. Yeah, but I'm at this point. I'm just more fascinated that we just let you talk for like two straight minutes. Can you believe that? <laughs> kind of impressive. <laughs> when have we ever done that? He's okay, talking okay. too briskly to interrupt. <laughs> okay, we're so so. When we were doing our watch our watch through for community night, I think it was Chris that mentioned like um, something about it being super Sam Raimi, and then here comes a, a Evil Dead thing, or one of you mentioned that an Evil Dead thing was coming up, and like I didn't really realize because I didn't watch any Sam Raimi movies growing up. I didn't like horror until I was an adult, so it, this would not have dawned on me, but. I didn't realize how much Sam Raimi put the horror elements that he is good at in this film. And this scene like really, really plays it up. The, the evil dead reference that one of them spoke of was one of the doctors who's getting attacked by one of the tentacles is trying to like cut it with a small chainsaw and the chainsaw falls off of like a desk that it's on. And there's a shot real quick of him holding the chainsaw on one hand and like lifting it up over the desk and you see it like revving for a second. Like it's a really cool shot, but I'm saying all this because I think overall, I just overall, I like this movie the best out of the original trilogy. It is weird to say original trilogy and not be talking about star Wars. I like this the, the best out of the, this Tokyo is the Empire trilogy. back of Spider-Man movies though. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think the reason I like it the best is because I don't know if it was getting the first one out of the way as practice or just learning from maybe what Sam Raimi might consider the mistakes of the first movie. I don't know what he considers mistakes or not mistakes. But the, the, the ratio of campy to serious it works so much better in this movie. And, and I think it's because... Maybe he, I don't know. I'm on team Bailey with this one. I think the first one, maybe he didn't realize that he was being over campy or like something. They took it too far. And this one, the ratio is almost perfect as far as campy to rest of the story. And I think that a lot of people, they might not have watched, they might not like regularly watch this, right? Because this movie came out in 2004. Chris was saying that the last time he saw this movie, was before he saw Spider-Man 3 in theaters. So it had been a while, but if I am recalling correctly, you said your memories of this movie were good. I think that people hold on to this movie in their memory as the best of the Sam Raimi trilogy because it was just filmed so much better. It was written so much better. Um, And I know that I didn't really talk about it as the best because it's the best. Yes. (laughs) well it's the best it's the best for 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 that reason it for Mm -hmm. to me because the first one is like too campy to the point where so to me when i say campy it campy to me is intentionally cheesy but there's a ceiling right there's a ceiling on it where we're gonna stop right here at the ceiling we're not going to go cheesier than this, but we know we're doing it. We're being very intentional about it. The first one 
it didn't feel like they regarded the ceiling. They were like, fuck the ceiling. We're just going to do whatever we want in the first one. It's a comic book movie. Let's be as weird as we want. Impressive. Back to formula. Like that kind of stuff. Too far. Funny, but like by comparison, too far. This one, they observed the ceiling. I think that because I like this movie better, and this is a segue that I, I will cut myself off at after I say it, but because I like this movie better, and I, I don't think Doc Ogg in it is perfect, but I am excited to see him in the MCU as we know it now because of this movie. This movie specifically, yes, it's the one he's in. I get that. That's obvious. But if this movie didn't play out the way it did as far as the writing and the story and the ratio, I probably wouldn't care that Doc Ock was coming back. But I am because of my my positive feelings on it now. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um I think Raimi is an acquired taste, and I will say he's not necessarily my taste. Uh, I, I think he is successful at accomplishing what he's trying to accomplish. It's just, he's very much into that, like you described Campy perfectly, um, towing the line between if what he's doing is serious and comedic. And I think he found that balance way better in this movie than I think, not only than in his other Spider-Man movies, but I think in most other Sam Raimi movies. I don't hate Evil Dead, but I, I watch Evil Dead and I just kind of think this is weird. Um, and and uh, exactly what you said, I think the balance is just perfect in this film. It's not getting close to being a comedy. It's not getting close to making fun of Spider-Man, but it still has some some humor in it and, and doesn't take itself too seriously. And I like that. You know, it's interesting though, you're kind of saying it feels like he improved his balance with this movie and, and learned from his mistakes. And I, I almost wonder if it's more accidental, if it's more, it just worked out this way because in the third film in this trilogy, he went real hard the other direction. (laughs) So, (laughs) okay. I don't remember the third one being like bad ratio campy. I remember the third one being a butchering of some of our beloved Spider-Man characters and maybe it being a little bit too much is a, from a story standpoint, like maybe they peppered too many elements in there. That's what I remember. You will remember us as being very campy. (laughs) It can be two things. Yes. (laughs) Well, fair, fair enough. It's, Fair enough. Uh, you don't remember Spider-Man stopping and posing in front of the waving American flag? I don't. That's the... I blocked that part out of my memory. Okay. That's fair. I I cringed so hard the first time I saw it, and I'm like, okay. my brain is hating me for thinking about it right now, so thanks. Do you remember the jazz sequence where he takes his jacket off and it causes Gwen Stacy's hair to blow through the air? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> obviously we all remember the like emo dancing scene like i'm not i'm not saying that like it has no camp i'm just saying i didn't remember it be i don't know because just wait (laughs) because we talked about the first one like holding the audience maybe this is part of it too because the first one we talked about how much it holds the audience member's hand like hey man we got to get comic books right if people are going to like comic book movies we really got to walk them through it we got to put six sets of training wheels on I feel like they didn't do that as much in this movie. And it might just be because it's the sequel. It might be just because, well, they would have seen the first one. Why else would they come to see the second one? But regardless, I think that improved, you know? And and I think a part of that is probably that the first one was so wildly successful 
Mm-hmm. The first movie ever to make $100 million in a weekend. Mm-hmm. No movie had ever done that before. So that proved that, hey, people are willing to come see these things so they could get a little, you know, they could trust the audience a little bit more in the second one. And, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. the exact same evolution we've seen in the MCU. Yep. That's true. I also, I don't want anyone to walk away from this thinking, Peach thinks this movie is perfect. Because I don't think this movie is perfect. And I think there is a lot of, there are a lot of like weird things that don't make sense, like plot hole things. <laughs> um, I know I, I'm saying plot hole to get a reaction out of you. you but are either just way, trying to make me angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just there's a lot of things that don't make sense. Like, like we talked about while we were watching. Like, yeah, the arms are AI, but why are they just evil right off the bat? Like, why did they decide as a computer system they're going to be evil? Yeah, they that just make chose sense. violence from the very yeah. Yeah, they they, no they woke up and they're like, kill all humans. I guess oh. I got to kill all humans. Well, again, I think it's it's. Much like I said about the first movie, I think it's embracing Stan Lee logic. Where it's like, well, he's a scientist, he made AI, of course the AI is going to go bad. I you guess, know? but but he was like pure of heart. I don't, pure of heart is like an example. He's not like a power. He liked poetry. He was he pure of heart. He liked poetry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pure of heart. His <laughs> wife was a, an English major. <laughs> he wasn't a bad guy before, so that's why it's like, uh, I could see if it maybe amplified his shittiness, but he, was, he, he wasn't portrayed as shitty. And also, like, every single moment where the fusion sphere, the little sun, has gravity, both scenes where the... <laughs> When that thing is sucking things in with it with its gravity it's totally selective gravity like we'll take this car from a mile away uh but spider-man standing three feet away from it he's not going to get pulled into it neither is mary jane it looked like for it a was second just metal it looks like it, it wasn't gravity it was like magnet was it, it everything was metal okay well, i think that's I guess what they that's were trying fair. to do which doesn't make a lot of sense You're right no eduardo's yeah. right oh that's why mj was getting pulled because she was chained up okay yes. yep Maybe yes. I'm the plot hole. It is metal, <laughs> but it also makes a lot more sense for it to be gravity. So I right. Yeah. Listen, Eduardo, this has been one of my favorite movies for what is it, seventeen years now? I've watched it dozens of times. <laughs> I had never caught that it was metal. <laughs> metal. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, okay. I think I like agree with Peter and disagree it. with him at the same time. Like I agree that this movie leans into its campiness a little better. I don't think the first movie was too campy. I, in fact, think the first movie, and I once again disagree with Robbie and Chris on this one, I don't think the first movie intended to be as campy as it was. I think, truthfully, that was a lot of these actors doing the most, and that wasn't the most in campy intention. That was them just doing the most, and that's how it ended up. Maybe there was a little bit of Sam Raimi campiness in there, but I think a lot of it was their true and honest performance. And in this one, it you definitely... You can't tell me Willem Dafoe didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, also, Willem Dafoe is also campy. Like, it's like... Yeah. It, it was like, if Sam Raimi gen- generally made serious movies and Willem Dafoe was generally an actor who played it straight, then, okay, I would get it. But I... Part of my assumption that that's what's going on with Spider-Man 1 is based on Willem, knowing Willem Dafoe and Sam Raimi from other sources. You guys are tight. Yeah, Florida Man is known to yep. be a campy movie. <laughs> Octavius escapes the hospital, horrified by what he's done, and using his arms to flip a speeding car. In an abandoned warehouse, Otto realizes the arms are starting to influence his thought. Unable to control them, he is driven to the belief his device would have worked if not for Spider-Man, and he just needs to steal the money to build a larger one. 
That makes sense. Aunt May and Peter <laughs> visit Jeff Winger at the bank to unsuccessfully shoot the load. <laughs> While there, Dr. Octopus rips open the vault and takes piles of cash. Spider-Man attempts to stop him, but Doc Ock takes Aunt May as a hostage. The two fight across a skyscraper before Spider-Man rescues a falling Aunt May before Octavius to escape I, the money. I also love how he plans on robbing this bank in a semi-disguise of a like weird hat and a trench coat and glasses, <laughs> but he's the only person in the whole city that just had metal arms grafted <laughs> onto his back, and also, he's not attempting to hide them. Also, why is he just walking into the bank in broad daylight full of people and guards? And like, what about this plan with his giant, powerful metal arms would not have worked better at night? And he literally rips a bank vault open. But no, those front doors, those are something <laughs> else, man. <laughs> also, why does he, he's like, all right, here's the plan. I don't need to go steal the things I need. Instead, I'm going to steal money and then just buy the things I need. <laughs> <laughs> he's pro-capitalism is what we just learned he wants to you help know what? the economy yeah we gotta stimulate the economy while we're doing nefarious things he's returning that money back into circulation which in the long run helps us all and using some of it as ammo much like trickle Gambit who's down super villainy uh <laughs> just really throwing his money around. Look, Doc Ock ah! is fun in this movie. That being said, I think the reason this movie is so good, people like have like really fond memories of Doc Ock in this movie, and I'm not saying he's bad. I am saying he's not that good. <laughs> and I think he's fine. Like I think he's okay. Like I think he's 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 decent in this movie. But I don't think he does anything special. I don't think his arc is that necessarily compelling. I think he's he's a fun side. He's almost like a side villain in a movie where he's supposed to be the main villain. He is there. He does a few things. Um he ends up having a turn at the end and tries to save everyone and saves everyone blah 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 blah. But he doesn't really go through that big of an arc. He doesn't really, like, you don't feel for him. And I think a lot of it is the reason I feel, like, so disconnected from it is because, like, the MCU has kind of spoiled us with decent villains. You can think of a few just off the top of your head that you're like, now this is a fleshed-out villain. Whereas Doc Ock, he's kind of just in line with some of the early MCU villains, like, you understand his motivation. They're not super compelling. He goes through the thing. He plays his part well, but this is really a story about the hero and not the villain. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I, and I went in thinking that he was going to be my MVP, that I was going to talk about how great he was. And instead, I agree with everything you just said. He's, he's just mostly a set piece to have some action sequences. And the movie is about Peter Parker and his responsibility. Uh, it's still I cool think... seeing him on screen. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just like you said in the last episode of the podcast, like this is still in an an era of action movies where like the bad guy has to die, right? Yep. Like that is what happened in action movies for however many years is if the bad guy doesn't die, then the movie isn't successful, right? Like the plot of the movie falls through or whatever, whatever going on in their brains, like why, why they have to die. And so I think this kind of suffers. I think Doc Ock kind of suffers from the fact that this is a one-shot movie for him at this point in time. 
Like he is not going to be able to move on to the next one. I think if they would have taken the time to, to put him in these other movies, I don't know how they do it. Maybe keep him as just like a, a villain always looming in the background or something. Like it could have, it could have been better for him. And that's why like, I don't disagree with you. I'm not hyped up about Doc Ock because I loved his performance. I'm hyped up about him because he's the best villain in this series. Uh, and we're going to get whatever new version of him the MCU brings us, which we might care about. Um, but yeah, like we kind of care about him for a second and then his arms make him evil and then he fights about it. And, you know, the movie's mostly about Spider-Man versus Peter Parker and not Spider-Man versus mm-hmm. Doc Ock. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, anytime I watch this movie, I find myself thinking how it just feels like he kind of peters out and is wasted because it's like, well, you have to kill the villain. You can't keep him alive. And with the to Eduardo's point, with the MCU and its success with villains, that's just amplified now because you've seen, wait, no, you don't have to kill the villain. You can keep him around and flesh him out and reuse him. Like, you can keep them around and they didn't and so i agree with him i think i think in 2004 this may have this was probably the best comic book villain ever put to screen and now he's not even particularly in the in the you know the neighborhood of the best so i think it's funny that we're talking about right. the mcu's success with villains when the conventional wisdom has always been that they weren't good at villains well well and eduardo said that he kind of fits the maybe the phase 1 mcu villain mold and i think that's right oh yeah no i agree they've gotten much better with it uh where even the one-shot villains are better than they were in the beginning um but then you also have i mean loki's just been a great character since day one but thanos was great killmonger was great and again that's a one-shot villain who was great uh ego and hella i would argue are up there as well as being really entertaining good characters yeah i I think another probably big uh, sticking point for me is that i am in absolute love with the doc ock from the spider-man ps4 game and that doc ock character arc is maybe one of the best just in video games in general like that villain arc is phenomenal it's very good it's very very good and so this is just it's obviously there's less time it's just a movie. They don't have as much time to develop the character, sure. But it still leaves me a little unsatisfied. Well, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the comparison of, you know, I don't play other MMOs because I've played WoW before. Like, if I'm going to play an MMO, I'm just going to play WoW. If you want Dr. Octopus in something, you would prefer the video game Dr. Octopus. Well, the video game Doc Ock is very clearly built on the foundations of movie Doc yeah, Ock. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's very interesting that that not only is it a great arc, but it is like this arc just done better. Yeah, it's done it's done over the course of a much longer story mm-hmm. than, you know, because I don't believe like Peter and Octavius never had a relationship like that in the comics. No, no. Yeah. Uh they in the in six one six they had never crossed paths before he was Doctor Octopus. Yeah. In in the animated series, he was aware of Otto Octavius. He appeals to him based on his genius, but uh-huh. they weren't previous friends. Um, same thing in, in the Ultimate Universe. Like that's not 
a yeah. part of a core part of the character is not their previous relationship. That was because yeah, because when I played the game, I was like, okay, yeah. So they they took the breadcrumbs and they're like, okay, we really like how they handled Doc Ock in the movie. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's kind of try to get the same kind of relationship. Let's see if we can go deeper with that through through this medium. And I thought they did a yes great job at the Daily Bugle. J. Jonah Jameson tries to think of a name for Octavius to print in the papers. He shoots down Doctor Strange since it's taken and settles on Doctor Octopus. Peter calls in, or Jameson calls in Peter, assigning him to take pic- pictures at a gala honoring his son John, a returned astronaut. At the gala, Parker discovers Jane- John Jameson is none other than Mary Jane's new boyfriend, then fiance after he proposes to her. Peter attempts to talk to MJ, but she ends up just yelling at him about his lack of reliability. And when he tries to like say that he's into poetry now <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> after harry drunk does he say there was a disturbance yes and like who are you darth vader <laughs> there was a disturbance <laughs> after harry drunkenly confronts peter over being more loyal to spider-man than his friends defeated by the evening peter heads out for an evening of web swing but his powers once again fail him and he fails from falls from the sky and is unable to climb the side of a building. Peter goes to see a doctor who tells Parker he's stressed and that's causing his physical issues and that he has a choice about how much burden to put on himself. In a dream sequence, Peter talks to Uncle Ben telling him he can't handle being Spider-Man anymore and throws his costume in the trash. A montage shows Peter happily excelling in class, enjoying life, and finally going to Mary Jane's play. After the show, he attempts to get MJ to call off the wedding, and though she is clearly struck by Peter's seemingly improved dependability, she says he's too late. Meanwhile, the Spider-Man costume is sold to the Daily Bugle and hung up in Jameson's office as a trophy for convincing Spider-Man to give up. While the Beagle publishes the news of Spider-Man's quitting, the locals bemoan the loss of their hero, and Peter guiltily walks past a mugging. What an asshole. Right. I still can't believe he didn't do anything. (laughs) Just like, not my problem. Well, that guy's I missed the part where that was my problem. (laughs) Uh, Lesson learned. Dang. Or was it? After visiting Uncle Ben's grave, Peter confesses to Aunt May that he let the uh, that he let Uncle Ben's killer escape. May responds by silently walking away. Later, Peter walks by a burning building, and though he thinks about walking away, he runs inside and is able to save a trapped child without the use of his powers. As he recovers outside, he learns someone trapped on the fourth floor died. Peter struggles over not getting to have what he wants against the responsibilities of how he can serve the greater good alone in his apartment. Days later, he stops by May's house to find her moving. May makes it clear she doesn't hold Peter responsible for Ben's death. Making it subtly clear she knows who he is, May gives Peter a speech reminding him how much the world needs heroes, how Spider-Man saved her life, and how much people look up to and miss him. Concentrating on the importance of his heroism, Peter is able to recover his powers as Spider-Man, mostly. Needing more of a key element for his fusion reactor... (laughs) Octavius threatens Harry Osborn, who possesses it. Harry tells Otto to bring him Spider-Man and to use Peter Parker to find the hero. Distracted while wedding planning, Mary Jane forces her fiancé into an upside-down kiss. 
Disappointed, she calls Peter to meet with her for coffee. Damn. MJ tries to convince Peter she's willing to leave John for him, but Peter starts to push back again. While Mary Jane tries to figure out what's going on, their conversation is interrupted by Dr. Octopus destroying the coffee shop. He kidnaps Mary Jane. He what? In a very, I won't hurt Peter way. You know, like when you're trying to find somebody and to find them, you throw a fucking car at them through a cafe window. And it's not just that, like, let's say he didn't hear or didn't care about don't hurt Peter. He needs him alive. Like, and he throws a car at him. Then he throws him through a wall that Peter survives because he's a superhero. He doesn't know he's a superhero. He's very bad at this. He's extremely bad at this. And dude hasn't even fully regained his powers yet. Like, what if his spider sense hadn't turned back on at that point? Like, what if he didn't flip the switch on his spider right. sense? He just gets, like, top half decapitated or de- dehafitated, whatever that is. <laughs> dehafitated, that's the correct word. De- dehafitated by a car. He gets ghost shipped. Oh. Oh, no. Hey, um... Darth Maul got better from it, so maybe Spider-Man could too. Yeah, Darth Maul got Darth Maul got spider legs after. Oh uh, my god! So Spider-Man so, would get Darth Maul legs. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. And a double-bladed web saber. <laughs> well, sorry, sorry Swip. for bringing dehafitated into the world, but here oh, it is. thank you for that. It's here to stay. Doc Ock kidnaps Mary Jane and tells Peter to send Spider-Man to meet with him. With his powers fully returned from his focus on saving, with his powers fully returned from his focus on saving Mary Jane, Parker steals his Spider-Man costume back from Jameson and swings into action. Spider-Man confronts Doc Ock on a skyscraper, and their fight takes them to the top of a speeding train. And there were several points in this movie where I was like, "Damn, this CGI is looking rough." Uh, <laughs> I believe the word that came out of your mouth repeatedly was "oof." Yeah, there's a lot of oofs and yikes. Uh, I mean, the movie, it shows its age a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, I got some uh, Scorpion King from uh, Mummy Returns vibes a couple times. There was one point where there was Doc Ock and it was clearly a fully CG Doc Ock. And at the time, I'm sure I was like, yo, this is the craziest looking thing I've ever seen. And now I'm like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> do you know, Ren, do you know what CGI person really does not hold up? Harry Potter being swung around by the troll in the bathroom in the first Oh CGI yeah, Potter that's movie. so bad. I have not seen that movie since it first came out on home release. I've seen it once. It is interesting going through like certain technology improving over time. I remember when 1080p was like the hot thing. And my my stepdad got a uh, he got like an HD TV and we were watching a football game. The very first thing I saw in HD was a football game. And I remember being so blown away at how unrealistic it looked to me because of how realistic it looked. Like I was I was staring at this football game and looking at the turf and I was like, damn, that grass looks like it's right there. Like. Uh Like I can, I can see the individual blades. Like, why is this so good looking? And now, you know, kind of going back, everything else now looks a lot worse because we're so used to things looking so crisp now. And you, talking about things that hold up, you know, it's wild to me that some of the best CGI still 
in my opinion, is from a movie that came out in 1993. Jurassic Park. I was going to go there if you didn't go there. Yeah, we, we got each other here. <laughs> you know, the CGI in Jurassic Park is just used so well. They, they, they know when they should use it. They know when they shouldn't use it. They know how to hide it when it doesn't quite look the way they want it to. But a lot of the times, it does look the way they want it to. And it's crazy how well it holds up. Yeah, and that's we talked about this on the Black Panther episode as well. A lot of times, what decides how well your CGI looks is, just like you said, how you use it. And sort of like I said in this, the scenes of Duardo's going oof are when Spider-Man's doing something fast in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. The, the night scenes, it works way better. Just like in Jurassic Park, Steven Spielberg yeah. was shooting his dino- the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the dark, in the rain, on purpose, like to hide the flaws some yeah. um that that's perfect you you have to work with what your designers are able to create you can't just say well make my vision work because your vision may not work you have to be able mm-hmm. to work with them and set things in such a way that the technology you're using doesn't stick out like a sore thumb yeah. A lengthy fight on the train ends with Octavius destroying the controls, causing the train to speed out of control to the end of the track. Spider-Man is able to painfully stop the train by standing in front, using his body as a brake and massive amounts of webbing on the sides of nearby buildings as anchors. The force causes him to pass out. When Doc Ock reappears, the grateful citizens of the train try to protect Spider-Man, but Octavius violently takes the knocked-out hero away. Do you guys... I remember people talking about this scene in particular, this like train scene. And this is like the scene that's quoted a lot. Like people are like, Spider-Man 2 is great because of the train scene. Like the train scene makes that movie. And like, I thought it was a good scene, but I don't think it Mm -hmm. makes that. I think the characterization of Peter and what he's going through and stuff like that. I think that is what makes this movie. I don't think the train scene is. Okay. The deal, the deal with that is that while it is a good scene, I will agree with you that it was a good scene. We already had one with the same message in the first movie where they were like, don't attack Spider-Man. He's a New Yorker. We're all one people. And they're throwing the cans and shit at, at, uh, at Green Goblin. Like it was a nice scene, but it wasn't anything we hadn't already seen. Like New York See, already like Spider-Man. I feel like this scene pulls it off so much better than. Oh the yeah, first absolutely. absolutely. I'm not saying it didn't do it better. I'm saying yeah. it, it did it the same. Yeah. It, it told the same message. It was the same message. But especially yeah, when right happen- before right before it happened, can you imagine being the old guy on that train who's literally about to die, and the one person in New York that might be able to save your life is on the back of the train, and his first attempt to save you doesn't work, and you go. Got any other bright ideas to spy? You did you just yeah? Did you just sass right. Spider Man? Right, this man can potentially save your life. You don't want him to like Homelander you <laughs> off this pl- on this train. It's yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, I, do you understand that reference? I do actually. Yes. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's interesting to hear you say that, Eduardo, because. I agree with what you're saying. I think this scene is fine, but it's not what makes the movie. It's just, I had not heard this as the scene that makes the movie. Uh, I definitely have heard people be like, this scene is up on a pedestal. Interesting. I think it's an iconic scene for men. Yeah, it's iconic, yes. And it I mean, was there's a reason it got referenced yeah. in the game, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I was going to say in Spider-Verse, too, right? It was also referenced in yeah. the Spider-Verse, too, yeah. Yeah, but lots of things were referenced into the Spider-Verse, including yeah, the dance true. from Spider-Man 3. Yeah, that's iconic. That's a scene that you. That's an iconic scene that you remember from Spider-Man Three, right? No, you guys all trash Spider-Man Three, and I also trash it. But I think I'm gonna have the most fun watching Spider-Man Three because I'm gonna hate watching. Like I think it's gonna be hilarious. I agree. I agree. I'm gonna rate it higher than you want me to, Robbie. (laughs) I'm honestly excited to watch it again too. You might be surprised. My I don't actually think Spider-Man Three in a vacuum is a terrible movie i'm not going to give it a horrible rating i know we'll see we'll rewatch it but i've rewatched it recently my feel concern like it's better than the other two we're, we're yeah watch. <laughs> yes it's not the worst movie we're gonna watch mm. um but it's not even close to the worst movie we're gonna watch my and we'll kind of get to this i think but my real issue with spider-man 3 is not spider-man 3 in a vacuum it's what spider-man 3 did to this franchise kill but, it <laughs> <laughs> Doc Ock hands Spider-Man to Harry Osborn and is given a large amount of precious, uh, man, I almost read that as a bad word, uh, tritium? <laughs> tritium, yes. To start tritium. his new fusion reactor. It wasn't a bad word, just an inappropriate word. Harry prepares to kill Spider-Man. I almost read titium, uh, but first <laughs> removes the mask. Uh, seeing it's Peter, he recoils in horror. Yo, let me get that titium. (laughs) Peter finds out Octavius will be creating a machine large enough to destroy half of New York. Though Harry is still angry, Peter convinces his friend to tell him where to find Otto to save MJ and half of New York. In the abandoned warehouse with Mary Jane held hostage, Octavius activates his much larger reactor. The gravity starts to wreak havoc on Manhattan. Spider-Man arrives and the two engage in one more fight with Spider-Man losing the upper hand when he stops to rescue Mary Jane. Why is this woman always like, why do they make her always soaking wet and like, just like, is this like a very cold part of the time? Like this is just what I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to say it because it was just so unnecessary and like, it's really, it's a weird choice. It's a really, did he like dip her in the water? Yeah, like, I don't know what the... like. Yeah, why, why is she wet? I don't know. Like, he carried her over there, and the the whole dock and building were still mostly as intact as that building could be at that point. Did he, did he just scoop her in there and be like, hey, can you test this for me? And just dip her in, like a litmus test or something? I don't know. Doc Ock attempts to kill the wall crawler with a retractable tentacle spear, but Spidey Spidey makes a miss and stab a power cable. Peter pulls the plug, and the shock allows Octavius to regain some mental control. Isn't that what happens in the Spider-Man ride? Doesn't he, like... Yeah, basically. Basically, like, makes him, like, shock himself, right? Like... I think he does that to... Electro has a big plug, and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because Doc Ock comes at you with the fire. Yeah, yeah, but like... Things were just about to heat up! How does he put Doc Ock there, right? I don't remember. Um, Um, Yeah, maybe what I'm remembering is Electro putting the thing on the the car. Yeah, and it How does he beat Doc Ock? I just remember the end that he's like webbed up and then he webs one of Doc Ock's tentacles to his face. um, Let's see, he says your aim is is, is worse than your haircut. Um... Well, okay, because he he gets up on the you end up on the building, 
and and Doc Ock knocks you off the building. I wish we could just do an episode about the riot. Doesn't the end? I feel like you never see what happens. It's just all of a sudden they're all webbed up at the end. He saves you, yeah. and then he's like, "Oh, by the way, I caught the bad guys too." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. If, I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while. Like one of the wow. tentacles starts to come out of the the iconic web bag that he's caught all the bad guys in, and then he yeah. thwips it up against the wall. Yeah, yeah he throws it on his face. Huh. And then he says, say cheese, but then they don't actually sell a picture in the gift shop. You know, honestly, when we're all <laughs> in Central Florida, we need to go for a day, ride Spider-Man the Ride, and then do a Spider-Man the Ride podcast. Well, uh, How does that also- fit into the MCU? <laughs> it decidedly does not. Look, when... <laughs> When uh, when Dan Slott did the Spider-Verse storyline in the comics, I was really hoping that he was going to bring in Theme Park Spider-Man. Ooh. He didn't. We can also do the uh, the Storm Ride. Storm Force Accelerator? Yeah. I've never been on that. We, 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 we might as well do Doctor Doom's Fear Fall, too. Nope. Y'all can have fun on that. I'll wait. Have you never I'm done Doctor Doom's Fear Fall? Dropping guy. Fear Fall's tame. Listen, I... I understand that. Here's a Peach's story, uh, a personal story that is akin to my story of uh, asking for sword catalogs growing up, but like actually way worse. (laughs) So I grew up in Michigan and uh, I grew up in Southeast Michigan, which is very close to the border of Ohio. Ohio has a a theme park called Cedar Point. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a mostly coaster park, uh, lots of thrill rides, not really a lot of stuff for kids. They have a kid's section with more tame things but you don't really go there to to take your kids there you go there to experience thrill rides and so that used to be the thing i wanted to do every birthday from like age seven until age uh, sometime in the teenage years whatever i went there every year for uh, many years and there was a year that i um i went on their drop tower their drop tower is called the power tower um there are four towers Two of them start at the bottom and they shoot you up. That's not a heroin thing. They (laughs) propel you upward. And the other two slowly take you to the top. Uh, They make you sit there for 15 seconds and then they drop you. So you get to choose which line you wait in. You can either go up or you can go down. And then, you know, they both go up and down for a while afterwards. So the last time I ever rode and will ride the power tower I was on the version where you go to the top slowly and they hold you there and they drop you. And when I was up there, there's like a, um, before your 15 seconds of just sitting up there and watching everything starts, you hear like a, like a, as it like locks in place. Right. Mm. For whatever reason. And, and I don't know if they've changed the ride harnesses at this point, but there was a seat belt and a shoulder harness on the power tower at the time. At least this is how I remember it. There were two harnesses. When I got to the top and the happened, my shoulder harness came off of my body. It unlocked. I would probably have been fine if it didn't relock. I panicked, grabbed it as quickly as I could and pulled it back down over my body and it locked in place. So I was fine. But I will never get on a drop tower that looks like that again. And, oh, doc- and Dr. Doom's Fear Fall looks like the power tower, just smaller. So I won't ride it. I'll ride the Tower of Terror, even though okay. that only uses a seatbelt. Like, there is less protection on, on Tower of Terror. I get that. It's irrational. But it doesn't look like the power tower. 
The difference with Tower of Terror is you are not going to fall out of the ride vehicle. Like, you're not going to fall to the ground. You'd get thrown against the ceiling. Like, what you just told me is horrifying. Yes, I was very afraid, and I have not been on it since. So, (laughs) sorry for traumatizing the two of you. Uh, You look very concerned. I I am here. (laughs) You survived, right? Okay, you're here (laughs) for now. You're here for now, but I know how Final Destination works. Like, oh yeah, it's gonna oh come no, back Robbie, don't put that evil on him. <laughs> well, I'm not getting back on it, so I don't know. Have you checked in on the other people that rode that day? Um, it was a girl that I was interested in dating that I did end up dating, but hadn't at the time. I'm the only one that that happened to. No one else's harness came up. That was, I don't know how it happened. I don't know if maybe they sent me up and it wasn't fully, I mean, you guys know how harnesses work. Um, Maybe it wasn't fully latched in and I got to the top and it went up. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. That's terrifying, honestly. Uh, I also, (laughs) I, I also know how I'm supposed to respond to that situation when a person, I don't know how I know this. But I, I don't know, know how, how I'm you supposed would... to respond when yeah. someone tells me that a restraint isn't working. I would, I would, I would have guessed that whoever was operating the controls at, on that particular day probably just didn't see it because I feel like I reacted quick enough to pull it back down. Like maybe they didn't notice. Now it's kind of concerning to me, knowing what I know about ride operations, that they wouldn't yeah. have some sort of sensor that says like. Hey, one of your harnesses is not yeah. locked anymore. Yeah, that's yeah, see, that's, that's where, what's getting me. That's where a lot but of my this was coming from. But this was also in like the two thousands at some point, so maybe the ride was old enough they didn't have something like that. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't like, know if this has ever happened to anybody else. What happens if they do get that signal? They stop the ride and then what? They cherry picker you out. Uh, God, I mean, if you're on the first version of the power tower, I guess they just let you out. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I don't remember how tall it is. Hold on. Um, power tower. I'm sorry. Power tower, Cedar Point height. I have. To I was know. wondering what the side quest of this podcast would be because we hadn't gotten to it yet. And this was not on um, the power tower. <laughs> so I should I should have looked this up first for further context to the story, because now you have to listen to it. And now you're going to know how high in the air I was just sitting there. Well, how high everyone is sitting there, but when my how harness... How high was up, it? 299 feet. No. Oh, dear. Yeah. Nope. That is JPEG. not a small number. That is a big maybe number. Maybe they were like, I mean, you listen, know what? His unlocked, <laughs> but this is the fastest way to get him back down. listen i love cedar point but you know that park is not without its fair share of like mishaps on rides i could tell you some more stuff but we don't really have time for it and the thing that everybody from the midwest kind of knows about cedar point is kind of a messed up story so maybe i'll tell you after the podcast so much for uh, our sponsorship on this podcast no 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 you do want to go listen it's like i've been having negotiations with dorney park come on yeah you ruined them sorry sorry uh cedar fair or sorry us rather man i was looking forward to free knott's berry jelly listen i still go i just don't go on the power tower all right neither will i
Peter pulls the plug, and the shock allows Octavius to regain some mental control, but the fusion reactor has become dun-dun-dun self-sustaining. Parker takes off his mask to talk to Otto about what to do. Now back in control of his faculties, yes. Yes. Octavius <laughs> laughs at his previous belief that Peter Parker is lazy. The tentacles try to regain control, but Peter gets through to Otto by reminding him genius is meant to be used for the good of society. Realizing what he's done, Octavius asserts control over his arms, vows not to die a monster, and pushes the generator into the river, drowning along with it. Chris, uh, now that I've talked about how much I don't like this, not don't like, but I didn't care to, I wouldn't even go that far. I just thought it was just okay, the Octavius arc. Tell me how much you liked it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was just sitting there holding my tongue during the whole thing because I was like, well, I'm sure I'll have a chance to say my piece later (laughs) because uh, when I first saw this movie, I loved it, and a big part of it was Doc Ock. Uh, I'm sure that this wasn't the first time this trope was used in a movie like this, but it was certainly the first time I remember seeing it where you had a sympathetic, tragic supervillain in in your superhero story. And it it really, for whatever reason, just resonated with me. I, I loved that they built up the connection between Otto and Peter first, before he became Doc Ock. And in the end, how conflicted he was and how Peter was able to appeal to his better nature. And he ends up saving the day you know sacrificing himself to destroy the precious tritium and uh tritium and the little and the little son that he's created which sounds like he had a little baby doc Ock, if i say <laughs> it that way and his little son kid squid and uh <laughs> oh i just i i i really enjoyed his performance, I thought Alfred Merlina was was really good as him, and he, you know, he got to do the big supervillain stuff, but he also had, you know, character to him before he became Doc Ock, and then, and then the scene at the end. I'm I, I'm just a I'm a Doc Ock fan. I I, I really liked him in this. A, a big part of the reason why I like Spider Man Two so much is because of the Doc Ock Peter Parker story there. So yeah, I mean that's that's really all I got to say about that. And we're glad you said it, Chris, even though it was wrong. When his mask, with his oh, mask okay. removed, oh. I'm just kidding. Uh, with his mask removed, Mary Jane <laughs> finally learns Peter has been Spider-Man all along. As she does, Spider-Man all along. <laughs> Peter is forced to save her from a falling wall, holding it up with great effort and confessing his love to her before they are able to escape from safety above. I like this is really heavy. <laughs> from safety above the catastrophe peter tells mj the reason they can't be together is because he can't put her at risk then takes her home in the osborne penthouse harry sees his father in the mirror norman taunts harry for not killing spider-man and demands vengeance harry protests and as he does he destroys the mirror finding the green goblin's arsenal on the other side at the Watson Jameson wedding, Mary Jane is a no-show at the altar and runs off. She appears in her wedding dress to Peter alone in his apartment and talks to him to talk tells him to respect her enough to make her own decisions, even if there's a risk. Peter relents, telling her thank you. 
As they embrace, Peter hears sirens outside, with Mary Jane saying, Go get him, Tiger. Spider-Man swings across the streets and back into action. The movie ends with a shot of Mary Jane's worried look out of the window. I would like to point out that I watched this movie with subtitles, and it said, Go get them, Tiger, and it really took me out of the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is what they said to the uh, police officers uh, in Texas in the past couple days. Go get them, Tiger. Go get the tiger. Go get damn tiger. Yeah, go get them tiger. (laughs) Thank you. You delivered it better than I. (laughs) That was what? An animal I would not fight. I have some experience with Texans. (laughs) True. This is kind of like a bittersweet ending shot. And instead of thinking about this ending shot, I'd rather think about the ending shot to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't know if you guys know what oh, shot I'm talking about. Oh, Shut up. Is that the God. one? Ooh. Don't describe it. First Just of all, is that go. the one where they're flying on the creature? I don't know my Harry Potter version. No, this is where he like flies on a broom. Okay. And- yes. Yeah. And then the freeze frame. Yeah. No, I he, was the no he like his mouth no, is open. He's like, one. I'm going to have I have I have I dropped my hottest film take on this podcast yet? Because I'm about to. Okay. <laughs> that is my least favorite Harry Potter movie. That is also something I agree with. Thank you, because that's a little hot. The general consensus is that that is the best one. I know. I do that's not like it. Probably hotter. It's uh, wait, it's wait, wait, not hold on, as hold hot on. As you think. Hold on. So this is fun because you're going to talk to someone who has seen the Harry Potter movies, but is mostly out of the fray of the discussion of both the books and the movies. Uh-huh. That's generally oh, considered. That one is generally considered the best. Yeah, because no. because Alfonso Cuarón directed Stop. it. Yeah, yeah, no, people love it because Alfonso Cuarón brought his his signature style to it. I very clearly like it more than you do, but that's weird. And I, I, I will I will admit that part of it is that that was my favorite book uh, at the time. It was my favorite of the Harry Potter books. So when I saw the movie, it did so many things differently that it bothered me. But I don't think me thinking that the freeze frame is the dumbest ending ever has anything to do with me <laughs> liking the book. Yes. I feel like I don't think me not liking the fact that there's this weird shrunken head in the bus uh speaking in a stereotypical jamaican accent the shrunken I don't head think isn't in the not... books nope that's such a weird addition i just assumed that has to be in the books so yep. okay generally when i watch harry potter movies and i see something that i think doesn't need to exist in the movie i just assume oh it's in there from the books to make the books books fans happy because that's how lord of the rings worked uh-huh. um <laughs> so i absolutely just assumed the shrunken head was a thing from the books nope yeah, Dude. no. A lot of the this things that they added. I genuinely like talking to people about Harry Potter just because yeah. of how out of it I am. Just because I liked the book does not mean that me not liking the way the werewolf looks has to do with the book. You know, it's because there's oh, this isn't what I imagined, and there's that's a bad design for a werewolf, a creature that has existed in folklore for hundreds of years and has been portrayed on film numerous times. This werewolf is bad. <laughs> It has nothing to do with me liking the book. It's just a bad werewolf. Yeah, so I'll yes, be. I'm sorry, Alfonso Coron, you know, generally considered brilliant director uh, and certainly deserving of that title. He's won a bunch of Oscars. He's great, whatever. I do not like his Harry Potter movie. I don't care how much people love it. 
Robbie, I'll give you a hotter take. I my favorite movie is the sixth movie. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> yeah. the one where Dumbledore dies, right? Yes. Okay, look, the sixth that, that movie seem has like a hot take at all. The sixth movie this is has so, this my, is weird. most people think the sixth book is one of the best, and the sixth movie is one of the worst. Okay, so hold on. Is it people that like Harry Potter and don't like the adaptation of the book that they love? Or is it people who think it is objectively not a good movie? I don't know. What I like about the movie is that it's See, I didn't supposed to be... didn't people felt that strongly about that movie. It's, it's supposed to be a super serious book for the most part because a lot of like messed up and tragic stuff happens and the movie plays off like a comedy for most oh, of Oh, that's it. the one that they re-edited the trailer to be a teen yes. uh, romance comedy? Okay, guys. Yes. This, okay, look. This the, is the, fun. We should the do a position is weird. We the need to do a podcast, scene. but where I don't learn anything. I just <laughs> listen to you guys with fascination. Look, the, the bit where he takes to Felix Felicis in the movie is my one of my favorite sequences in the entire film series. That's the pincers. Right? Okay. The pincers. I love that. <laughs> so funny. It's maybe Daniel Radcliffe's finest moment in that series. And, and I, I don't like mean Slug that Lord. as a bad thing. Yes, yeah, like Slug Slug Throughout most of those movies, the casting was like on point. You know, Eduardo's the, over there trying not to throw up. He just hates everything we're saying. I don't hate everything you're saying. I think we're getting dangerously close to we need to do a Harry Potter podcast and we need to stop before we get too far. Yeah. <laughs> Fair There's enough. a lot to unpack if we have to do one of those. You so. would love me on a Harry Potter podcast. Let me podcast, tell you, I, I would like nothing more than to never do anything that supports J.K. Rowling. So how about Ooh, instead yeah. of doing a Harry Potter podcast, we do any other podcast. Yeah. Sure. All right, let's go back to this James Franco movie. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Hey, Robbie, uh, you were excited about this movie and the ending and all the cool stuff that was going to happen, and then we got what we got. Yeah, and I will have that feeling every time I watch this movie. So I can still remember the first time I saw this, and and I did like the first Spider-Man movie, but at the end of this one... What? We have, at the end of this one, we have really set up Spider-Man. He has gotten through his, 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 uh, how do I handle my responsibility phase? And he's a full-on superhero now. We have put Mary Jane to where she knows what's going on. And she is, you know, we've now set up Peter Parker and Mary Jane, which is a very important uh, part of the mythos to me. Um, It's got a really exciting ending with the go get him tiger and the, and and we even get Harry Osborn, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. For most of my life, I thought Harry Osborn was the main Green Goblin because he was the Green Goblin when I was a kid. It was not until actually fairly recently that I realized that that it was Norman Osborn, and Harry Osborn was just a brief, you know, it, in the grand scheme of things, brief for my childhood, not brief uh, attempt to bring back the Green Goblin. So to me. Harry Osborn walking in there and seeing all the Green Goblin stuff. Like, that was so exciting. Oh, my God, they're going to have the Harry Osborn Green Goblin. I thought maybe they'll make it the Hobgoblin. That'd be a little bit of creative license, but I would have been fine with it because I love the Hobgoblin. Whatever. I was excited. This movie just even more opens up this franchise to do so many exciting things. I was daydreaming about the, you know, this Kirk Connors being the lizard and all the stuff you could do with these movies. And... Still, still, this is an exciting ending that gets me pumped and gets me just so excited. And now, 
now every time this movie ends, I get that excitement again, and then remember, oh no, they wasted all of it with a garbage third movie. Uh, and not just a garbage third movie, just they immediately undid the Peter and Mary Jane relationship. They immediately, they, they retconned the Uncle Ben death in a horrible, horrible, God, I, I'm assuming we'll rail on this next week, but in a horrible way, they retconned the Uncle Ben death. I, you know, you thought that maybe they'll do Venom eventually, and then they did, and that was a mistake. Yeah. I, it just, <laughs> it's just so bad. And it really sucks when a good movie, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, is harder to rewatch because you know what came after it. And Secret Trilogy. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like TV, right? Like that's the Game of Thrones mm-hmm. thing. Like it's really mm-hmm. hard to go back and watch Game of Thrones because you know how it ends. Arrested Development. I, you guys know I love Arrested Development, but when I rewatch Arrested Development now, it's like I have to like tell myself that the fourth and fifth seasons didn't happen. Yeah, and so it sucks that this movie, you use the term bittersweet. That's what this movie is now to me. It's bittersweet. It is. It still gets me that excitement of how good this Spider-Man franchise could be. And then I have to just be brought back to the reality of, nope, you know, this was more of an accident rather than the beginning of something great. I'm extremely mad at Spider-Man 3. And this movie makes me more... Every time I watch this movie, I get more mad at Spider-Man 3. Well, you can lash it out in a week. You should have a watch party. You should make brisket, and so you can feel better about life in general while we're watching it. And then we can eat the brisket. Uh, 75% of this podcast will be eating brisket tomorrow. Congratulations. Ooh, and, no, I mean, it'll be... 100% of the people that have the same names as everyone on this podcast will be eating brisket tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's just rude. Damn. Soundlord, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so mean. Move to Florida. So how does this compare to the MCU? Uh, I'm going to go on on a limb and say this is maybe the least MCU-like Marvel superhero movie uh, maybe ever. I think this movie is almost nothing like the MCU. I think it is its own thing. I think the campiness, I think uh, maybe the villain could be a little similar to the MCU, but I think in a lot of ways this this is in a whole different ballpark to me personally. I see some puzzled looks, so I assume I'm going to get some disagreements, but that's okay. I don't think it's that far from phase one. I, I don't think you're completely wrong, and it's it's a hard thing to say, but to me, how it compares to the MCU is not so much how it is like an MCU movie in its style, but I think it's very much like an MCU movie in its production value and how um, relatively polished it is and how well it handles you know, the balance of humor and characterization, how it handles doing a story that isn't necessarily just about stop the villain's evil plan. Yes, there's a villain's evil plan to stop the end, but that's not really what we've already established. That's not really what this movie is about. This movie is about the hero and about what the hero can do. And um, yes, the MCU absolutely elevated superhero movies, but I think this is probably, with the exception of 
the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, which are almost a different thing. Uh, probably the best non-MCU superhero movie. So it compares to it in that way. But that said, stylistically, you're right. It's it's different. It builds on the character that was uh, in the story from before. Uh, surprise cameo at the end from a previous villain. References another Marvel superhero. Uh, teases a bunch of future developments for uh, other movies. I think it's very much like an MCU movie. Yeah, but you just said like a lot of like surface level things. Like it's not... Sure, like it has references to comic books. It has a main protagonist who wears a costume. Yes, we like. I get that there are similarities there, but that doesn't necessarily make it like an MCU movie, right? It doesn't. It's. I mean, yeah, it's not exactly, but. And I was being a little, little cheeky with you know some of my choices, but I don't think it's the least MCU Marvel movie. Okay, maybe we're both being like... a little dramatic. Yeah. We're never dramatic on the podcast. <laughs> uh, like Harry Osborne, back and forth between joking and anger. <laughs> <laughs> we need... Someone needs to record this so we can make a gif that we can use yes. of that of Peach clapping like that. <laughs> Honestly, we need a YTMND of Peach clapping like that. We just need to think about what the music is. No, I don't want to have... Why did I first think of Brian Pepper's music? Oh, see, I went with... I went with... um, Take me out. I want Blue Ball Machine. Because what was the what was the one? Because it was take me out. What was it? Was like Yamal del Toro or something? But it was like oh no, it was Conan. Conan is oh Conan, Conan, yes, yes, yes. MVPs, Chris. Who's your MVP for Spider Man Two? No one knows. Yeah, you know, I've changed my mind a few times. I was gonna say Doc Ock just to like really screw with y'all because I do love Doc Ock in this movie. Uh, and part of me wanted to choose someone different so that I wouldn't be so it wouldn't be unanimous. I wanted to be the baseball voter this time. Um, with the honorable mention, okay, with honorable mentions to J.K. Simmons slash J. Jonah Jameson for being the ultimate embodiment of a comic book character on screen ever. We talk about Robert Downey Jr. being perfect for Iron Man. We talk about Chris Evans being perfect for uh, Captain America. But my God, they've never plucked someone out of a comic book and put them on screen like they did when they cast J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And I know Angela and maybe some other friends listening to this have been wondering when I was going to bring this up. But um, I played Tevya once. (laughs) in <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof and it is a running joke that I bring it up uh, whenever the whenever the occasion arises and Alfred Molina also played Tevya on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof. I, I was not on Broadway. Mine Chris, can I bring up a fact? Yeah. I played Benny in Guys and Dolls and J.K. Simmons played Benny in Guys and Dolls. <laughs> hey! <laughs> okay, uh. I love this. Um... <laughs> The the connections, yeah. So so with much much love to Alvin Molina, my fellow Tevya out there. But but thinking about it, I'm talking to you guys about it. I got to give it to uh to the spectacular Spider Man. Yeah. So uh, Eduardo. Huh. 
well, you basically said all of the things I was going to say. Uh, and so right? I'm just going to say, I also say Spider-Man with a close second of J. Jonah Jameson. Whoever's next, go uh, ahead. Yeah, this is weird. I This is a really balanced cast outside of Harry Osborn, I feel like. Like, everyone was good. This is, last episode, I said this might be the worst Mary Jane. Uh, and this episode, or I actually liked Mary Jane a lot. They, they handled her much better, so I considered Mary Jane. Uh, to exactly everything Soundlord just said. I was real close to picking uh, J. Jonah Jameson, but it's Spider-Man. This is just, outside of just being too quiet in the middle of battles, this is the perfect embodiment of Spider-Man. Peach? Yeah, I don't I don't have too much different. I mean, my my struggle in choosing this was like you said because outside of James Franco, this cast was really balanced with with the characters that we care about here. So I think it goes to Spider-Man just because of um, uh, the story being about Peter versus Spider-Man and trying to decide how he needs to move on uh, and handle his responsibilities. And also, man, he like toned down. Thank you, Tobey Maguire, because he toned down the neck bearding like tenfold. Like he really just he took that dial and he just swoop. He swooped it to the left. Yeah, the. The Mary, we didn't talk about this. The Mary Jane and, and Peter relationship was awkward and weird in the first movie. And in this one is so, like, I actually feel emotion for it. And in that ending scene, like, it is actually emotionally exciting. Because I do care about them in this movie in a way that I didn't in the first one. Ratings. Peach, we're going to start with you this time. What are you going to rate Spider-Man 2? Uh, I gave Spider-Man 2 seven and a half Butterfingers. Oh, I should say, oops, Butterfingers out of 10. <laughs> Chris? I gave it 8.5 Delicious Astronauts out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as I said during our watch that became a running joke with me and a couple friends in college when we rewatched this movie before Spider-Man 3 came out. So, yeah. Uh, Eduardo, what'd you get it? I gave it 7 Aunt May whooping ass out of 10. Peter, I'm sorry, Robbie. Uh, I gave it 8.5 Precious Tidiums out of 10. Nice. <laughs> boobly boobly. <laughs> all right, Robbie. Uh, you had us do all this whole Spider-Man ranking thing, so what are you going to rank them? Uh, this was really hard. This was really, really hard, and I think I could change my opinion a minute from now. Um, In the Spider-Verse is sitting comfortably at number one. I don't think that's going to be challenged. If that is ever challenged, that will be a good world to live in. Um, Number two was hard. I went back and forth constantly. I have changed it on this very notes in front of us constantly. I, I love this movie, and I keep putting it in second place. Then I think about how much I love the Mysterio scenes from Far From Home. And so I am committing to our publish of this podcast. And I'm, I promise that I'm not going to change it on any other podcast as much as it might pain me. That I'm going Far From Home second, and then Spider-Man 2 third, and then the rest. Chris? You're allowed to change your mind, man. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I went, I went through the exact same struggle as Robbie did. Uh trying to figure out where where to put Spider-Man 2 versus Far From Home. And I also settled on Spider-Verse, then Far From Home, Spider-Man 2, then of course I have Homecoming, and then Spider-Man 1. I it, Again, it really came down to two things for me is what it really came down to. Mysterio being 
first of all, the Spider-Man villain I wanted to see on screen the most from like when Spider-Man 2 came out. I was like, I hope they do Mysterio next. And I've been saying that for years and years. And finally, they did Mysterio next and they nailed it. Um, and then um, as much, you know, I gave Peter Parker, I gave Tobey Maguire the MVP here. But I do think Tom Holland just overall gets the balance of Peter Parker and Spider-Man best. So putting those two factors together, that puts it ahead of Spider-Man 2 for me. But just barely, just barely. Uh, Peach, what about you? Yeah, I don't have many surprises here. I still think that so far that every all of the new things that we have gotten um, surpass the Maguire trilogy. As much as I like this movie, um, it, it didn't beat any of the new ones. So I've got Spider-Verse, which definitely, like you said, will not change. Then Homecoming, Far From Home, Spider-Man 2, and then Spider-Man 1 is, is in last. It will, it will not stay there. <laughs> Eduardo. Interestingly, we now all have different rankings. Yeah. I have Into the Spider-Verse, just like everyone else, because it's the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Uh, then Far From Home, Homecoming, Spider-Man 2, and then Spider-Man 1. I think that's, that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required. If you want to send us your rankings, go ahead and send us an email, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com, or had us uh, hit us up on twitter at assemblycast you can follow all of us individually at philkid3 for robbie getter sex 2010 for christy underscore peaches for peaches and abcd eduardo one for myself if you'd like to support the show we are supported by listeners just like you over at patreon.com slash assembly required we just had our first community night today where we watched spider-man 2 and next one probably be a month from now we'll try to find something else fun to do maybe a game night maybe trivia maybe another movie watch who knows the only way to find out is by joining the discord and joining that patreon patreon.com slash assembly required Big, big thanks to our Avenger-level patrons, Brian and Riley. Thank you guys so, so much. But I think it's going to do it for us. It's going to do it for myself, for Robbie, for Chris, for Peaches. We love you 3,000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Precious tritium. Delicious. Pitium. Impressive. Because I'm free. Nothing's worrying me. Dr. Octagon, I'm a puss.